Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Is there such a thing as a truly unselfish, altruistic act? One in which someone benefits while the person performing the act receives nothing in return? You could debate the philosophy of harm and good, of cause and effect, of intent and result. And philosophers have for pretty much ever. But looking at it from another angle, why would we humans possess a sense of selflessness or altruism in the first place? Is there a biological basis for your good deeds? Whenever researchers use magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, to observe test subjects as they perform a particular task, it seems that some new secret of our brains is unlocked, and altruism is no exception. One 2006 study focused on anonymous charitable donations, which are pretty specific altruistic acts. The giver receives no tangible reward. They give away hard-earned money to benefit a total stranger, and they can't expect any thanks because the donation is anonymous. It's altruism at perhaps its purest. But researchers found that the subjects who contributed to charities did receive some benefit, the warm fuzzies. 
In the study, the volunteers had a choice. They could keep money or donate it to charities of differing ideologies. The researchers found that giving money activated the same reward center in the brain that was activated when the participants received money. Another study in 2007 also used MRI to study the phenomenon of altruism. These researchers, however, concluded that people aren't altruistic because they receive a good feeling when they perform a selfless act, but because they perceive that others are likely to return the favor. The researchers found that the area of the brain that's activated when people analyze social bonds indicates that before we do something nice for someone else, we might first examine whether or not that person would reciprocate if the shoe were on the other foot. If we think someone else would act altruistically toward us, the study suggests we would be more likely to act altruistically toward that person. According to evolutionary theory, however, behaviors develop when they help living things to survive. Animals feel discomfort when they're hungry, signaling it's time to eat. A plant might shed its leaves in the fall to create a protective mulch barrier to keep its roots warm during the winter. Flora and fauna survive by looking out for themselves. By this logic, altruism shouldn't even exist because behaviors that make it through the process of natural selection need to help that creature, or at least its genetic material, survive. So, the idea that we have a natural imperative to help others at our own detriment flies in the face of evolutionary theory. Altruism must serve some unseen purpose that favors our survival. Take the example of a parent risking their life to save their child's, or helping your sibling out with a loan when they're in a crunch. These both support the belief that altruism is kinship-based, meaning our blood relatives are generally the beneficiaries of our altruism, which lends itself to an extension that altruism exists to protect the genetic line. Author Richard Dawkins, in his book The Selfish Gene, considers humans as mere vehicles for a genetic line. Since we pass on half of our genes, when we protect our offspring or blood relatives at the risk of our own lives, our altruistic behavior is merely our genes acting to protect their lineage. There are other interpretations of altruism within the sciences, however. One explanation posits that altruism lies not within some genetic urge, but outside of ourselves. French sociologist Emile Durkheim stripped any application of terms like good to describe acts of altruism in his theories concerning morality. To Durkheim, altruism existed outside of the individual. It was an external social force prescribed and demanded not for the benefit of any individual, but for the benefit of society, simply to keep society intact. Durkheim defined altruism as the violent and voluntary act of self-destruction for no personal benefit and the opposite of rational self-interest. To the sociologist, behaviors like altruism exist because the needs of the society and the needs of the individual are at odds. Since people perceive the collective group to be more important than the individual, self-sacrificing behavioral concepts, like altruism, are required to keep the individual in line and subservient to the greater good. Although Durkheim's critics say he jumps to conclusions in his explanation for altruism and morality in general, other anthropologists side with his interpretation— some consider it an impossibility for society to have developed without the cooperation that altruism fosters. The implication that altruism is an external social mechanism is sometimes called social subjectivism, which is more widely defined as the belief that groups of people, not individuals, collectively create our reality, and perhaps especially concepts of truth and morality. It means that we as a group have managed to create an intangible ideal like altruism and created its high value as well. People see those who make personal sacrifices for the common good or for the good of another person as noble and admirable. 
If Durkheim and others who share a like mind about altruism are correct, then we have bought into altruism so deeply that our brains have evolved to deliver pleasure to us when we perform selfless acts. To individualists or egoists or objectivists, on the other hand, the concept of altruism as a social fabrication is a dangerous thing, something that defies true human nature. The idea here is that every person is responsible for their own life and happiness, and that we must let every other person be equally self-responsible. This belief follows that altruistic behavior allows people to be exploited by totalitarian governments trying to control people's lives, right down to people's moral right to exist. Altruism in this view is an aspect of subservience, with a dubious benefit of having been duped into feeling good about it. It seems we've gone a bit far afield to answer such a seemingly simple question. Is there such a thing as a truly unselfish act? If MRI evidence is accurate, then we have the reward system to contend with. If evolutionists are correct, then we perform altruistic acts in order to ensure the survival of our genes. And if subjectivists or objectivists are right, then we're altruistic merely because we conform to social standards. So far, the existence for a truly unselfish act isn't looking good. But there are two silver linings to this admittedly sort of dark cloud. Although we are rewarded one way or another by performing an altruistic act, it still remains up to the individual whether or not to perform one. And if helping one another feels good, does that make it any less worthwhile? Today's episode was written by Josh Clark and produced by Tyler Klang. To hear more from Josh, check out his podcast, The End of the World with Josh Clark. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more on this and lots of other sticky topics, visit our home planet, HowStuffWorks.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.